And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. John Vance. And he was former pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Rock Tavern, New York, now living in West Virginia, and he serves on the board here at Redeemer. So, Pastor Vance, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Well, it's my honor, truly my honor, and a pleasure for me as well. (laughs) Uh, Likewise. A couple of things we wanted to just touch on quickly today, and uh, the first one is uh, nationalism, and that's a kind of a movement right now, and it it seems to almost transcend political parties in some respects. And the second is uh, Mother's Day coming up. But first of all, let's move to nationalism and talk a little bit about that. Uh, what comes to your mind, Pastor Vance, as you consider that topic? What comes to mind is a debate among some evangelicals, uh, a kind of the evangelical lead point, uh against those in the pew, you might say, over Christian nationalism. It it seems to be a great concern, but it's also a concern for uh, the New York Times and the Washington Post. Um, Some of their writers are easily harping on Christian nationalism. The problem is that most people don't understand or know what it means, Uh, and it's really hard to get your teeth into in one sense. it has to do with nationalism. Uh, nationalism uh, is a belief, and of course it is my belief, and I'm probably no doubt yours, I've not talked to you about it, that uh, uh, nations are legitimate and have legitimate boundaries, and uh, they represent distinct cultures and people. But we have uh, today a very strong movement among uh, particularly the elites of Europe and America uh, to become internationalists and kind to erase uh, national boundaries and those kinds of things, and uh, particularly the distinct cultures, if they're European or stem from European, uh, they, they, they honor every culture but European cultures. And so um, a lot of uh, conservative uh, Christians, of course, uh, come down on the nationalist side and a lot of liberal Christians come down on the international side. So that seems to be the problem. It's a political problem, and uh, it, it certainly has become an issue, uh, not so much in my circles, but in, uh, in a lot of evangelical circles. Yeah, I think that uh, is a good short characterization. Um, some Christians may say, well, that has no place in the Christian worldview, and yet they're pronouncing such statements from a pulpit that uh, is actually protected by, uh, by our Constitution. So it's kind of an irony to me. Um, Christian nationalism. So um, you use that phrase. I kind of like the phrase. Um, I look at things kind of simply here. I've got an awful simple mind, I guess, Pastor Vance. Uh, you mentioned boundaries and... Um, you know, we own our land here, my wife and me, and we raised our children on this land, and um, we we like boundaries. Um, we welcome people to our home, maybe not as often as we should because we're so busy, but um, we have boundaries. We have a, a lock on our door, and so we lock that at night 
to protect ourselves in case there's some kind of a bad person that wants to come in. Hopefully that will delay him enough so that uh, we can find out what's going on before they um, come in and and try to hurt us. Uh, We live in a relatively safe neighborhood, but boundaries are important. Um, One of the things that comes to my mind is our southern border right now, Pastor Vance. Um, I I see uh, many people crossing over, and they're not really being vetted. Well, the the problem there, of course, is it is a it is a uh, a dispute, even a, a a cultural war between those who believe in the nation state and integrity of boundaries, uh, who believe uh, that uh, uh, the United States is a distinct uh, country and and should defend its own interests against those who are internationalists. The internationalists do not want any borders; they would just assume erase these borders. Because the people who are for that, particularly the elites, uh, they already don't really uh, tie themselves too much to a country. They they fly all over the world. They have homes everywhere, and so they're they're just as satisfied to do away with all boundaries. It won't affect them, but it would but it would affect us, and is affecting us in a tremendous way. It is it is uh, uh, well it, it is an attack upon. Uh, American traditional culture, which has been highly successful in creating wealth and keeping peace, by the way, uh, at least in the Western Hemisphere. And so uh, they don't like that. They don't like the power of America. They think it's too much. Um, And so that's the kind of dilemma we're in, and it does infiltrate our churches, of course. But uh, but, but that's why, why that's the problem. That seems to be the rub. That's yeah. The thing. Yeah, I think you're right. You mentioned churches, and um, there's a wide range of, of churches out there, some of which I, I really wouldn't care to go to, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, I'd hate to go to a church where I'd leave and the preaching of the Word was not really there and the Lord Jesus Christ was not upheld. I often think, by the way, of um, a statement from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, what do the Scriptures principally teach? And the answer is they principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. And I've always um, thought in my older years here, gee, that's a pretty good guideline for the preacher, it seems. Extraordinarily uh, good advice. Uh, it, it's reminding the preacher to stay in the Word and to <laughs> proclaim uh, the gospel of Christ, and in this case, the whole counsel of God. Yeah, and to teach it, and to preach it, and confess it, and proclaim it. Right, right. Sometimes I drive past. Uh, I, won't, I better not say which road, but there's a sign up, kind of one of these. Uh, I don't even want to call it a church. It, claims to be a church, and you can tell right away from the sign that is out by the road that they're not really into the gospel. They're not into preaching the whole counsel of God. They misinterpret God's ways as being uh, offensive to man, and because of that, um, I, I suppose they're right, but because of that, they won't, they won't preach um, the whole counsel of God. But I recall in, in my own life, you probably do in yours, that 
as the gospel is preached, um, conviction from the Holy Spirit falls upon your heart. And so there's a need to repent and to believe the gospel and be willing to uh, say, Lord, I'm a terrible sinner. I've, I've failed you. I, I've gone against your holy law. By your grace, you're drawing me to yourself, and therefore I now receive you. And so it's a, it's a wonderful transaction that takes place. Amen to that. What you're seeing, uh, Dan, is also two different versions or approaches, if not versions, of Christianity. Uh, the, the conservative Christian usually uh, believes not only in boundaries for our country, but in boundaries for the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. Uh, it, it is a church that needs to practice uh, not only the commands of God, but its discipline, and to discipline its members based on the Scriptures. Whereas the other approach, and I'll invoke a name here, H. Richard Neaver, back in the 1930s and 40s and early 50s of uh, of the last century, uh, wrote a wonderful book on Christ and culture and then uh, on America um, and denominationalism. He's a terrific writer. But he, he described the second variant of Christianity that was emerging in the 1920s this way, a God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. Mm-hmm. And uh, this, this type of Christianity, of course, wants no boundaries. Uh, it's, a, it's a Christian nationalism, too, on the left. Uh, they just want acceptance of everything. Uh, they don't want to judge the criminal. They don't want to judge people's behaviors. They, they, they want to include them in the church as well. And that is a kind of Christian nationalism as well, as opposed to the more traditional understanding of Christian nationalism uh, that uh, believes that America, while it is not a Christian uh, country in terms of everyone being Christian, that's for sure, but it is a Christian country historically in terms of culture. And that's where uh, the issue is. Uh, The New York Times accuses, uh, and the Washington Post accuses the conservatives of being Christian nationalists, of confusing politics and religion, but it's clearly that if that's the case, it's certainly clear clear that it is on the left as well, deeply on the left. Sure, sure. Well, today we're talking with Dr. John Vance, and he pastored for many, many years in the Hudson Valley of New York State, now lives in West Virginia, and once in a while we tie him in here to talk about stuff, and today we're talking about Christian nationalism. Um, any last comments on that topic before we move to our next one, which is concerning mothers? Well, I will say that nationhood started uh, and flows out of the Peace of Westphalia that was signed in the Thirty Years' War and the Eighty Years' War in 1648. That's an important date in Europe. And so our churches from the founding have... Uh, have have uh, understood the traditional churches that uh, we need to support our culture. So uh, it's a fight between left and right on this, and uh, there's a lot more to be said. Mm. Uh, but there are two kinds of Christian nationalisms going on here, not just one. Yes. Yeah, it's a good point. I'm very thankful for our country. I'm 
You know, while it's not a perfect document, our um, Constitution amazes me in the Bill of Rights. And um, sometimes um, people say, oh, we need to, you know, rewrite our Constitution or whatever. But until the heart of the people have revival and change, I would be very fearful of rewriting our Constitution since it flowed from people that were closer to the Lord than the average person today in America, so I, I'd rather keep what we well, have. Well, it was a Christian. It, it was a Christian culture at the time, and that's yeah. why it flows out of that. That certainly was a support. Yeah. So we don't quite have the degree of that today as we once had. That's for sure. No. Well, um, the things that shaped me and you and this country um, were our parents. Were one of the things that God used in our lives. And uh, coming up, of course, is um, Mother's Day, so we'll be thinking a lot about our our moms on uh, May the 8th, which is uh, tomorrow. Um, So let's talk about our moms. Uh, The other day, I I realized, uh, well, I actually got it on my calendar. It popped up, um, my mom's passing on to heaven. It's been 12 years now, and I, I miss her very, very much. Um, but I'm also thankful that uh, she loved Christ and trained us as best she could along with Dad, and that they're now in the presence of the Lord. Uh, I believe your mom passed also, right? Yes, yeah, she passed uh, in uh, uh, 2006. Uh, 2006. My mother uh, was, was a, a very dutiful woman, extremely dutiful. And, and loved my father and supported him uh, all her life and her children. Mm. Yeah. Well, they make a huge difference. Um, my parents were, were um, you know, they, they just sent us boys to the public school. Um, people weren't really homeschooling in those days. Uh, the schools weren't as as far gone as they are now. And yet I remember that she would... Um, I believe she would almost always pray with us before we walked out that door. She'd make sure we, <laughs> yeah, yeah, she'd make sure we had our vitamins for the day, and yeah, so we were blessed with Christian parents, and that's a that's a big deal for kids, isn't it? Oh my my my! Can you imagine? And some do grow up without being mothered and a mother's love. It makes a difference, and it it helps you. To have a good mother to relate to women the rest of your life in yes. a proper way. Yes, indeed. Yes. And uh, it was kind of funny uh, where the way my mind worked after Mom passed shortly thereafter. Uh, the little tune came to my mind, sometimes I feel like a motherless child. <laughs> it would, it would, it, that, that old tune would play through my mind, and uh, I don't know, just the way it worked for me. But uh, she was a, a blessed woman, and my dad uh, just, you know, passed a couple of years ago, and we miss him very much. But, uh, you know, at one point in your life, you reach and you say, okay, my parents are gone now. And yet um, the effect of those parents, the training, uh, maybe little tokens of their love you still own or whatever are, are there, and you realize what a... What a blessing I had, and I, I, uh, I had nothing to do with it. You know, you're, the parents that you're given, yeah, you know, we don't choose them, and yet God 
chose them for me. So I, I was very fortunate. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, well, we, we do have this day coming up, and it's a special day uh, in our household and in the household that I grew up in. In fact, uh, Anna Jarvis, who started the modern-day uh, celebration of Mother's Day in America, was a West Virginian. She actually was living in Philadelphia and in 1908. She sent a bouquet of flowers uh, to her home church in Grafton, West Virginia, Hmm. Um, and Andrews Methodist Episcopal Church, it was in Grafton. I've been to Grafton several times. I don't remember seeing the church. But she sent a bouquet of flowers in honor of her mother, who had died a couple of years earlier. And then she started pushing for uh, a, a general recognition of mothers on Mother's Day. And uh, in in 1910, this is ingrained in me. I'll, I'll tell you why in a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mother's Day was was officially uh, uh, celebrated in West Virginia. The governor passed a declaration, and then uh, uh, President Wilson in in uh, in uh, 1914 uh, passed a declaration for the whole country that Mother's Day would be the second Sunday of May. And when I was growing up, uh, my mother would hand we went to church, of course, on Mother's Day, and my mother would hand out uh, carnations uh, or a rose, it all depend. And you got a red rose if your mother was living and a white rose if your mother had passed away. Oh, and yes. so people would come to church and wear a red rose or a white rose. And uh, I can remember we always got a red rose. Mm-hmm. And I asked my mother one time, I said, Mom, how come we always get red and other people have white? She says, well, I'm still handing them out to you. I'm still alive. So uh, when I pass on, you can wear the white rose. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. But the Bible also, the Bible is very, uh, commends mothers and motherhood uh, in a way that the modern world I don't think is appreciating. And it's it's a great crime against the family. But, uh, you know, that woman in Proverbs that no one can live up to in chapter <laughs> 31 there, that's an amazing woman uh, for sure. And then, of course, you know, Paul was was very uh, uh, commended women greatly. They helped him in the ministry, but he commended the the mother and grandmother of Timothy, his helper. Uh, his what, what was his grand? Uh, that's in Second Timothy, isn't it? His grandmother probably uh, was Lois, and his mother was Eunice, I believe. And so he commends them for passing the faith yeah. on to Timothy. And and uh, uh, boy, my mother certainly did that. Yeah. You mentioned that passage in Proverbs, and uh, yeah, you do get the feeling that no no woman can possibly live up to this, and yet there are some that, that kind of get close. Um, but one thing that stands out is uh, the children. It says, um, her children rise up and call her blessed, uh, her husband also, and he praises her. Uh, that's a That's a very profound prescription, if nothing else for us to uh, remember to speak well of um, our our mothers, speak well of our wives, um, to praise our wives. And for, you know, my kids, Deb's kids, to uh, continue to call her blessed and not speak evil of her, that that's really important to, to um, it's part of honoring the parent, I think. Oh, it is. It is. Indeed. 
Indeed. Uh, I uh, Thinking of this, I know that I learned a key maybe too many years late that the, one of the keys to uh, to my wife uh, and our relationship and the relationship with his children is is appreciation. Amen. A, a simple word, appreciation. Appreciation for all that she's done for us, for me, and for the, yeah. the kids. And that's what Mother's Day really is about. It's a day of appreciation. And this is yeah. rooted deeply in the in the Bible, so I think it's it's a good day. Yeah, and and you're right. I, at least in my life, you learn it a little bit late. And so, uh, for those of you who are young men and married, um, really appreciate your wives, uh, fellas, and it will go a long way to glorifying God and helping uh, maintain the peace in your home. Um, today we're talking with Dr. John Vance, and um, first we talked about nationalism, the uh, f- very important phenomenon that's taking place in our country. In in a way, it's nothing new, and yet there's something fresh about this today. And uh, now Mother's, uh, Mother's Day is this coming Sunday, tomorrow. And so uh, in the next four or five minutes, uh, Pastor Vance, any more thoughts come to mind uh, regarding mothers? Well, I, I, I will say that uh, the, the, the love for the country, nationalism, and love for family and mothers are related. They're traditional, uh, in many ways, traditional Christian values uh, that flow from the scriptures. The Bible recognizes nationhood. Uh, there is a there is a, a fun twist to this. Uh, a woman in England was inspired by Anna Jarvis about Mother's Day to to a, she, she was a, an Episcopal or, or Church of England mm-hmm. woman. Uh, her father was a, a Church of England a minister a priest, and uh, uh, she started Mothering Sunday. Now, what is Mothering Sunday? Mothering Sunday is an interesting thing. She, it was established after Mother's Day, and and it had roots in in medieval period. But nonetheless, she restarted it, and it was uh, a Sunday, the fourth Sunday of Lent, that where everyone would go back to their home church or the mother church, uh, and or the home church where you're baptized, and it would have a reunion and celebration. Hmm. And in a, in a strange way, we kind of do that in this country in our, uh, what I call homecoming in our churches. Uh, I grew up in a church that always had homecoming once a year. And people would come from far and wide, uh, at least in the early days, come <laughs> far and wide, and come home to the church in which they were baptized and yeah. uh, taught the faith. Um, and the church is called a mother. So I think uh, we can, in in an analogical way, tie motherhood and mother church, if you will, uh, together, the one who gave us birth. And that's really what uh, Paul's talking about in Second Timothy there with Eunice. It kind of conflates the two, because they taught him the faith, but they were part of the church. Yeah. So I think uh, church homecomings are a good way to celebrate, too, and for people to get together and celebrate families and church and so forth. So uh, the concept of mother is an important thing, not only for our families, but also for our churches. And we're so busy today, Pastor Vance. You know, you want to do something nice for your mother, let's say, 
and then uh, time just slips out from under you. But, um, gentlemen, uh, force yourself and ladies to um, do something special for your mom uh, this this weekend. And uh, you may not have much time left hearing this on a Saturday and all, but even if you run out to, um, I don't know, shop right and get a little little uh, flower or something, uh, sometimes you can get them pretty inexpensively and it's kind of that thought that counts and it'll lift and cheer her up and encourage her uh, greatly. We used to take our mother out to eat on Mother's Day. That's nice. <laughs> that's, that. you know, that's a, that's a good idea, isn't it? It really is. It makes so much sense because moms are always putting out. Um, and one other follow-up would be... Um, you can do a search on mothers, you know, on the Internet. And I came across one on the Crosswalk site. And they mentioned different mothers and what characterized them in the Bible, ten of them. And uh, the first one they list is Sarah, the mother who waited. Um, Hagar, the mother who endured. Uh, Rebecca, the mother who believed. And you kind of get the drift here. And the last one, yes, num- yes. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, number 10, is, of course, is Mary, the mother who is blessed among women. And uh, so uh, mothers are so important. Uh, last uh, 10 seconds, Pastor Vance, any comments? Well, at least call your mother. Yes. That's one thing you can do. If you're not living close by, give her a call and say, Mom, I really appreciate you. Amen. And uh, uh, that's an important thing, so that's what we can all do. That's right. Our, for our living mothers. Don't, don't wait until it's too late. Pastor John Vance, yeah. God bless you, my dear brother, and thank you for joining us today to talk about these matters, and, and may the Lord bless you. Thank you. God bless. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. 